0: When we look at the structure of the tabernacle and the priests and the garments, uh, I made note that from chapter 25 through chapter 27, we have the things concerning the tabernacle. It began with the furniture inside, and then with the tabernacle itself being erected. And uh, you have those three sections of the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, the Holy Place, and then the outer court. Uh, Those who were permitted to go inside Uh, The court and the Holy of Holies and the high priest once a year, uh, or the holy place, and then once a year the high priest into the Holy of Holies uh, was the the tribe of Levi, the high priest Aaron, uh, his sons, and those who would be from the tribe of Levi. And we're looking now at the priest. Now there are a number of, of furniture pieces that have not been mentioned yet, but in chapter 28 you find an emphasis on the garments of the priest. Chapter 29, the consecration of the priest. And then you return to chapter 30 with the two other pieces, the laver, which is on the outside in the outer court, in front of, uh, between the brazen altar and the tabernacle, and then inside, right before the veil, is the uh, table of incense. And so uh, those are the two pieces, but they concern the service of the priest. And so that's why he introduces the priest now, and then the service of the priest at a later time, and then we'll see those added pieces of furniture. I would like to, um, uh, if we look at our text here, I'm going to break this down into uh, sections of the priest's garment. So we're going to read Exodus chapter 28. We're going to begin reading in verse 1 and work our way down to look at um, two specific things concerning the garment. So notice Exodus chapter 28, verse 1. And take thou unto thee Aaron thy brother and his sons with him, from among the children of Israel, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office, even Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, Aaron's sons. And thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron, thy brother, for glory and for beauty. And thou shalt speak unto all that are wise-hearted, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him that he may minister unto Me in the priest's office. And these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate, and an ephod, and a robe, and a broidered coat, a mitre, and a girdle. And they shall make holy garments for Aaron thy brother and his sons, that he may minister unto Me in the priest's office, And they shall take gold, and blue, and purple, and scarlet, and fine linen. And they shall make the ephod of gold, of blue, and of purple, of scarlet, and of fine twine linen, with cunning work. It shall have the two shoulder pieces thereof joined at the two edges thereof, and so it shall be joined together. And... The curious girdle of the ephod which is upon it shall be of the same according to the work thereof, even of gold, of blue, and purple, and scarlet, and fine twine linen. And thou shalt take two onyx stones, and grave on them the names of the children of Israel, six of their names on one stone, and the other six names of the rest on the other stone according to their birth. With the work of an engraver in stone, like the engravings of the signet, shalt thou engrave the two stones with the names of the children of Israel. Thou shalt make them to be set in ouches of gold. And thou shalt put the two stones upon the shoulders of the ephod, for stones of memorial unto the children of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord upon his two shoulders for a memorial. And thou shalt make ouches of gold, and two chains of pure gold at the ends of wreathen work shalt thou make them, and fasten the wreath and chains to the ouches. We're going to be looking here at the ephod and the girdle. The ephod and the girdle. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this evening for your word. Our Lord help us to. Uh, Understand what those things are representative of as it pertains to the priest's garment. Uh, Help us to see Christ in all of this and the privileges that have been afforded to us in Christ and because of Christ. Uh, So Lord, help us to rejoice in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, The holy garments, as they are called, were to adorn the priest... Uh, that were to adorn the priest are uh, seven in number. Now, we read in verse four six of them uh, in this order. You have the breastplate, uh, an ephod, a robe, a broidered coat, a mitre, and a girdle. Uh, another article that is not mentioned initially is mentioned later in this chapter in verse 36 and thou shalt make a plate of pure gold and upon it, like the engraving of a signet, holiness to the Lord. And so the seventh item, uh, part of the garment, is the plate of pure gold. So there are seven items, uh, six of them initially mentioned there. Uh, The um, plate of pure gold in the book of Leviticus chapter 8 verse 9 is called the holy crown. And so we'll visit that when we get there. But uh, so important were the priestly garments that laws were actually given in regard to those garments. I mentioned last week that uh, one of the prohibitions from the priests is that they could not rend their garments. Uh, which is interesting because when Jesus stood before the high priest, he got so upset that he rent his garments. He, it was not lawful for him to do. But by the way, in the midst of that, we know they weren't concerned with the law because they were looking for false witnesses. So they did everything against the law to stand against Christ. And so uh, it would be nothing to them. It would be just some ritual to them to just uh, tear apart this garment and the significance of the garment if they don't understand what that represents. Uh, As we look here at this list, uh, something interesting to note is that the breastplate by order is given first in verse 4. It is mentioned first, however, when describing the actual garment, the Lord will first begin with the ephod. So verse 4 is a list of all of the garments. And God begins by mentioning first the breastplate, which is really the centerpiece, if you would. The, the piece that stands on the outside, the piece that's at the center. And we're going to spend some time talking about the breastplate probably next week. But when we begin to look at the individual garments and how they're supposed to be made in verse six he begins not with the with the breastplate but he begins with the ephod and the girdle and then he will talk about the breastplate so we know that the breastplate there's a great significance in that it is mentioned first and when we'll look at the priest's garment it's at the center it's what people would see the priest wearing. But God, when He goes through the details, He begins with the ephod. Um, when we look at, uh, so again, we're going to look at, focus on two aspects of the garment that is, the ephod and the girdle. Uh, included with that, He describes for us from verse 9 through 14 the shoulder pieces, but that is part of the ephod. In other words, it's uh, what attaches. Uh, the ephod, the back, to the front. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. So this will be uh, one part. And the girdle, which we talked about if you were there on Wednesday night, we're talking about the whole armor of God. Uh, we have to have our loins gird about with truth. That's the belt. Well, we're going to find that this girdle is made of the same material, same colors as the ephod. And so it's part of the same. It would bring, encircle the ephod and keep it there together. So let's take a look here again. When we look at these individual components of the garments of the priest, the first point of emphasis to make is to consider the mention of the material and the colors. If you notice here, both verse six and seven. Now, if you just read it, we just kind of uh, glossed over it. But I want you to notice where God said what God says in verse five, and they shall take gold and blue, and purple, and scarlet, and fine linen. And they shall make the ephod of gold, of blue, and of purple, of scarlet, and fine twine linen, with cunning work. Now, the first point of emphasis to make is really to consider the mention of the materials and the colors. They are repeated twice, almost, in a sense, back to back. We already know the colors. Why repeat them again? You see, in verse 5, the materials and the colors are all mentioned before we know we are making an ephod. And then in verse 6, after the ephod is mentioned, the materials and the colors are mentioned again. Now, I don't believe there's anything in the Bible that's there as, oh, that must be an accident. The writer must have, this is an oops. No, Uh, we once again see, I think, Uh, that the emphasis here is not to be placed upon an ephod. Uh, Rather, the emphasis is to be made on the testimony of the uh, ephod by its very colors and material. You see, the same thought, remember, was captured when we began to talk about the tabernacle back in chapter 25. Do you remember, if you turn back in chapter 25, at the beginning of the chapter... Before any discussion is made about how the tabernacle is to be built and about any of the pieces of furniture, uh, in Exodus chapter 25, verse 1 through 9, God instructs Moses concerning all the material that needs to be gathered first. And then when we talk about the Ark of the Covenant and the table of shoebread and the candlestick, and then the actual uh, linen, the tabernacle, and the uh, four layers, and all of those things... Uh, the first thing that is mentioned is the materials. So there is significance here because God wants specific materials because they are representative of something. Uh, God did not just pick those colors uh, by happen, Says, Well, let's just pick whatever colors. No, uh, these are specific colors. And so the order follows that before the tabernacle is mentioned and all the furniture of the tabernacle is mentioned, all the materials that God wants are named. And here when we come to the garments, uh, to the priestly garments, before we talk about how to actually, actually make the garments, the material and the colors are mentioned. So it's not just about another ephod, as people would be familiar with an ephod and a girdle. But it's about the significance of this particular ephod, of this particular girdle, because of the colors and the materials that is to adorn the priestly garments. You see, the point of the tabernacle, as we've already seen and the priestly garments, is not to impress the children of Israel. Uh, Nor was it to impress other nations who would be looking in. Uh, The point of the tabernacle is to reveal the Lord in the person of Christ. The point of the priestly garment is not to impress the children of Israel and to impress the nation, but it is to reveal the Lord in the person of Christ. So as we behold the details of both the tabernacle and the details of the priestly garments, the details of the priestly service, we should come away with standing in awe of the Lord. Not come away and say, wow, that's some fancy garments there. Look, those colors. Wow, we are impressed by by the garments themselves. No, we should come away from that and say, what a Lord we have. What a Savior we have. The Lord is uh, indeed communicating in a visual manner his desire for communion with man and how he is able to restore communion. He who is holy with sinful man. And he describes those things for us and how that has been made possible in Christ. That's what the tabernacle is all about. That's what the priestly garment is all about. And we have a pattern because the same material is used from the tabernacle to that which is to be used for the priestly garment. The same colors, the same material. So the materials and the colors we are already familiar with when we looked at the tabernacle. Uh, Notice if we look right at the text, uh, verse 5 mentions the material of the colors, but notice verse 6, the ephod specifically that is to be made is going to be made, first of all, of gold, of blue, And of purple, of scarlet, and of fine twine linen with cunning work. Uh, So far, we have the exact same materials that are found in the tabernacle, except for one the wood. Right? And you remember, uh, the gold, for example, is representative of the uh, divine nature of Christ, but the wood is an emphasis on the humanity of Christ, that Jesus Christ would become a man. But yet he would be God at the very same time. But remember here who we're dealing with. Who is representative of the wood? Here is the priest. He is human. And he is wearing the garment. And the garment is really, while he is carrying the garment, he himself uh, is representative of the humanity of Christ, while the garment is the expression of the deity of Jesus Christ. When we look at those things, let me remind you, and this is just a review because we already saw those things in the colors that adorn the tabernacle. The gold speaks of the deity of Christ. Jesus is divine in nature. And by the way, He made that clear when He uh, came on earth and they were talking about Abraham, the Jews with Christ. And you remember what Jesus said to make it very clear in John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Notice he didn't say, I was. That would uh, hint that he had a beginning. But he said, I am. I've been eternally existent before Abraham. And I will be eternally existent after Abraham. And so the gold is representative of the divine nature of Jesus Christ, which he declared himself, well, when he was on earth. The blue, as we mentioned in the tabernacle, speaks of the origin of Jesus, that Jesus was the Son of God who came down from heaven. In John chapter 6, remember as he was talking to uh, the Jews and they were going, uh, talking about the wilderness wanderings and specifically the manna. And in John chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus said to those Jews, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. The Jews thought in John six forty one. the Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And so Jesus declared his origin. He came down from heaven. The purple, we have the gold, the purple, the, pur- uh, the blue, and now the purple. The purple speaks of royalty. You see, Jesus was of royal pedigree, both in the earthly sense and in the divine sense. Uh, We think about the earthly sense, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, uh, the book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so his pedigree is the right. He is of royal pedigree as the son of David. But in Matthew chapter 16, verse 16, when Jesus was asking his disciples, who do you say that I am? Not just what do men say that I, who do men say that I, the son of man, am, And he asked the disciples, and Peter gave the right answer. He said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You see, yes, Jesus, by pedigree, is the Son of Abraham, the Son of David. But He is also, at the very same time, the Son of God. In Romans chapter 1, verse 3, Concerning His Son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, And He was declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So Jesus, yes, He is of earthly pedigree, royalty, as the Son of David, but He is also of heavenly pedigree as the very Son of God who has the right to sit on the very throne of God. God Himself would say of Christ, Thy throne, O God. Is forever and ever. So we have the gold and the blue and the purple, but we also have the scarlet here. The scarlet speaks of suffering. Jesus came to suffer on the behalf of sinful men. Remember what he himself said before his very crucifixion in Matthew 20 28. For the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. That's the scarlet representative of the suffering of Christ. But then we have the fine linen, and that speaks of His purity. Jesus was, as the Scripture tells us, He was pure, He was undefiled, He was separate from sinners. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 says, For even unto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was Guile found in his mouth. So here the same colors that are adorning the tabernacle are the same colors that are adorning the uh, garment of the priest in the gold. Speaking of his deity, the blue, his origin, is heavenly. The purple, his royalty, both earthly and heavenly. The scarlet of his suffering and the fine linen of his holiness and his purity. It's interesting to see, to note, the integration of the gold. Because when we think about a vessel, we don't think of gold. That's heavy, right? Right? Uh, when we think about the Ark of the Covenant, that was, the wood was overlaid with gold. Same with the table of, of, uh, of, of showbread, or the candlestick, or uh, you think about even the structure is, is wood, but it was also overlaid with gold. And so we think of gold as heavy, but uh, what is this gold? How is, was the gold incorporated or integrated into the ephod? Uh, turn with me to Exodus chapter 39. Uh, we're going to see exactly how that was made. Exodus chapter 39, and notice verse 3. Well, if you look at uh, the description, let's begin reading in verse 1. Exodus 39, verse 1. And of the blue and purple and scarlet they made cloths of service to do service in the holy place and made the holy garments for Aaron as the Lord commanded Moses. That's referring back to chapter 28. And he made the ephod of gold, blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen. And they did, here's how they incorporated the gold. How did they do that? And they did beat the gold into thin plates and cut it into wires to work it in the blue and in the purple and in the scarlet and in the fine linen with cunning work. So uh, having this mind here, they would... Uh, basically, beat down the gold into really thin strips, and whatever the embroidery pattern was, when the blue was used, or the purple, or the scarlet, along the um, along the edge of that, there would be a thin strip of gold that would follow the edging of the blue or the purple, whatever color was used, and so it's a thin. A strip that was used there. It was, and so he tells us later how this was made, and we'll, uh, I guess, revisit that at the time. But uh, the gold here was thin plates that would be added. Uh, when we think about the ephod, it would uh, certainly strengthen the ephod and uh, add to its beauty, uh, no doubt. But the ephod had two parts. If we uh, look at it, if I'd have a picture, the, the first covering would be up front. And so if you think about a uh, kind of a, um, in old times, a soldier, they would wear their armors and they would put it over their heads. There would be a back uh, part of the armor, a front part of the armor, and it would fit over their shoulders. The sides typically were uh, visible. And so you would they would put that with the backside and the front side and put it over them, set them over their heads on their shoulders. And so the, the ephod is very same as that. Uh, and so you have the, the front covering, the second, the back covering, and these two pieces would be joined together at the shoulders with two, we'll read later, shoulder pieces. Uh, and the shoulder pieces are described from verse 9 down to verse 14, and we'll visit them in just a moment. We'll see what... Uh, what was on those shoulder pieces. But if you think about it, it'd be like an armor and you would have to put it over your head and slip it on top of you and it would sit on your shoulders. That's the ephod. But then he adds, and so we have those colors and we can imagine that this is a, a pretty thick vesture. Not only is it pretty thick, but it's pretty sturdy because the material and the gold, that strong material that is added to the embroidery somehow. It's quite impressive, by the way, the artistry that they had. That's why God says, I've chosen uh, people who are wise and who are cunning in their work. They, they know what they're doing. It's interesting that many of the things we read in the Bible that they did, people aren't able to do today. It's quite remarkable. Uh, kind of combating the whole idea of evolution, that we're getting better and smarter. I, I don't think that's quite right. Uh, But God gave people wisdom to be able to do that. And so the ephod is is, uh, a thick, sturdy uh, vesture, uh, both front and back, overlaid with those colors and also strips of gold along each of the colors that are embroidered. When we move now to the girdle, and notice in verse 8, just one verse is mentioned about the girdle, but the Bible says, And the curious girdle of the ephod which is upon it shall be of the same according to the work thereof, even of gold, and of blue, and of purple, and scarlet, and fine linen. So the girdle was to be made with the very same material and colors as the ephod. It would match. And we might imagine here that it would be, uh, uh, the gold was incorporated in the same way that it was on the ephod. And so the girdle, uh, what's the mention of the girdle? Remember that uh, the office of the high priest, now by the way, this garment was not worn by all the priests. This was just worn by the high priest, specifically connecting him when he comes before the Lord. Uh, He talks about the names of the children of Israel on his shoulders, and we'll see their names also on the breastplate. Uh, that when the high priest comes before the Lord, well, what's that place? That's when he goes into the Holy of Holies. This garment is not for all the priests. It's just for the high priest, and he would with us once a year. Well, we know that the high priest is representative once a year on the Day of Atonement of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so we, we think about this, and we think about the girdle that is mentioned here, We think of the high priest and we think of Christ, and so what's the significance of the girdle? If you would just do a uh, a, a word uh, word search of girdle, specifically in connection to Jesus Christ, a a few search results would come up. Let me take you through them. If you first go with me to John chapter 13 in the New Testament, in John chapter 13. So the high priest is to not only wear an ephod, but he is to also wear a girdle of the same material and colors. The whole idea of a girdle speaks of preparedness for service. Now, on Wednesday night I talked about how the girdle was put on when you got ready for activity, right? When you were ready to do something. Uh, In in the days of Paul, uh, men would uh, go in their homes and if they would fellowship with uh, a friend, they would take off often their girdle, and be at rest. But as soon as they engaged, they were to engage in any type of activity or labor, they would put a girdle on. Uh, and so the girdle is uh, representative of preparedness for service. And when we read about the Lord Jesus Christ, it is interesting the mentions about Jesus and His girdle. Uh, one of those mentions is John 13. Now, if you think about John Specifically at this time, John chapter 13 through chapter 17 is Jesus spending His last time with His disciples in the upper room and then going to the Garden of Gethsemane and being betrayed. You have the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, but these, this is not uh, 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 years, okay? This is a few uh, moments, a few hours, the last moments that Jesus had with His disciples, And in John chapter 13, Jesus is with His disciples in verse 1, Now therefore, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour was come, that He should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved His own which were in the world, He loved them unto the end. And the supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands and that He was come from God and went to God. No, think about Jesus, He knew that the Father had given all things into His hands and that He was come from God and went to God. His last moments. Now think about that. He came from God and He is going to God. He is Jesus, the Son of God. That Savior, notice what He does in verse 4. He, the one that came from God and went to God, He riseth from supper and laid aside His garments and took a towel and what? Girded Himself. After that, He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith He was girded. Imagine that. The very Son of God. The one who we talked about is represented in the gold and the blue and the purple and the scarlet and the fine linen. He knows that His hour has come. And by the way, when we think about what He knew, uh, Hebrews chapter 12 describes to us what He knew. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame. He knew the suffering that was to come. He knew before it came. And yet in that very moment, in uh, light of those who would betray Him, uh, not just Judas, but then the the Jews and the Romans, and He knew that He would be uh, mocked, and He knew that He would be beaten. He knew that the end of that uh, suffering would be His crucifixion. And with that knowledge, He took His garments off and He girded Himself with the attire of a servant. Yes, you heard that right. God in the flesh girded Himself with the attire of a servant and washed the disciples' feet. That's what Jesus did. It's interesting when we think about the girdle, we, we, we think and we understand the significance of uh, the high priest and how he is a shadow of Christ who is our high priest. And we think about uh, the girdle where the priest, he, he is ready to serve. He's going to enter into the court and he's going to enter into the tabernacle, the holy place. And then once a year, the high priest is going to enter into the holy of holies to perform a service. And sometimes we think about the service of the high priest and we think how glorious his service must have been. But can I say that his service was one of humility? It is expressed here in the fact that he was washing the disciples' feet. But his humility is greatly seen when we read the description of his mind as a servant in Philippians chapter 2 who Jesus being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he he made himself of no reputation and he took upon himself the form of a servant. He was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. We think about the service Of our great high priest, it was a service of humility. And this is a good reminder for all of us that if we are to serve God, if we are to serve God, it is not something that we deem glorious. It will demand our humility. It it must demand from us if we are to serve God, should we be better than Christ and think that our service for God will not demand our own humility? It demanded the humility of Jesus Christ. And by the way, He did that willingly. And by so doing, gave an example to His disciples who they knew who He was. And He says, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done unto you. I'm thinking in another context, if you turn with me to Revelation chapter 1. So in the book of Revelation, so Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation reveals Himself to Jesus Christ or uh, uh, to John, who was on the island of Patmos. And uh, John describes this revelation of Christ, and notice when we read about this revelation, the description of Jesus concerning himself to John is given to us, and we read something specific in verse 12 and 13. Uh, revelation 1, 12, And I turned to see the voice, that's John, that spake with me, And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. So what John sees, he sees the Son of Man, that's Jesus Christ, girt about. What does the girdle mean? The girdle means he is serving. Now here he sees the Son of Man in the midst of the candlesticks. So what are the candlesticks? Well, the interpretation is given to us in verse 20 of chapter 1. And the mystery of the seven stars, which thou saw in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks, which thou sawest, are the seven Churches. The Son of Man is girt about in the midst of the candlestick. What's the candlesticks? The churches. And then we find in chapter 2 and chapter 3 that Jesus Christ says, I know thy works. Jesus is in the midst of the church. And we say, well, uh, what is He doing in the midst of the church today? I'll tell you what He's doing. He is girt. What does that mean? He is serving. So how does He serve? Well, one of the ways is that He speaks to us. He's given us an example of His own life. Repeatedly, whether it's Peter or Paul or John, says that Christ has given us an example that we should serve just like He served the interest of our Savior, even now that He is in heaven and in the midst of the church, even though He is not bodily but in spirit, His interest is on serving the church. In uh, Go back with me in Luke chapter 12. Jesus is uh, talking in Luke chapter 12 and... He uh, uh, lays out here a, a, a parable, and this parable is speaking really of himself. Uh, notice with me in Luke chapter 12. Uh, let's begin reading in verse 31 so we can get some, some context here to see what Jesus is declaring. Luke 12:31, "But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, a little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom." Sell that ye have, and give alms. Provide yourselves bags, which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where uh, no thieves approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let your loins be girded about, and your lights burning. He's talking to those who are to serve the Lord. Let your loins be girded about, and your lights burning. Verse 36. And ye, yourselves like, uh, and ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when He will return from the wedding, that when He cometh and knocketh, they may open unto Him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when He cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that He, the Lord, shall gird Himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth And serve them. Do you know who will be serving us at the marriage supper of the Lamb? Jesus Christ. I just think of the picture in my mind. When He comes for us again. And we will be seated in heaven. Who is going to serve us? The Lord Himself. The Lord Himself. He gave us an example on earth. He is now, his interest is on serving the church. He is girt. He is ready uh, to serve. When we get in heaven, he is going to serve us. Isaiah 11.5 says that, in righteousness shall he be girded, uh, uh, shall uh, be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. But Hebrews 7.25, what is Jesus doing today? Hebrews 7.25 says, Wherefore He, our great high Priest, Jesus Christ, is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth, to make intercession for them. You know what Jesus is doing today for you? He is making intercession for you. Now just a side note, the fact that Romans chapter 8 says that the Spirit of God makes intercession for us, the fact that Jesus our great high priest is it, making intercession for us today, continually before God, proves our own infallibility and our own need of the Spirit's work and the intercessory work of Jesus Christ. In Romans 8, he says, The Spirit makes intercession for us because we don't know what we should pray for as we ought. Uh, In other words, we fail even when we pray and ask God for things and we don't know what we should pray for as we ought and God knows our feebleness and our finiteness. He knows that often we don't pray as we ought and yet at the very same time, He prays for us according to the will of God. What a wonderful thing. What a wonderful thing. So what is He doing? He is serving you have the ephod and you have the girdle. And the girdle, I believe, is uh, speaking to us about the preparedness of the service of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ from the moment He came on earth to this very day. What is He doing? He is serving. Serving. Now, I, 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 my mind here at this time is, well, the Lord should not serve us. We should serve Him. And that would be the right mindset. That would be the right mindset. But it doesn't change the fact that He serves us. You know, I'm saddened today of the pictures and people who speak of our Lord, and they know nothing about our Lord. I read uh, and uh, listened uh, recently about a a debate between a Christian and an atheist, and the atheist was uh, was ridiculing the idea of a God who was who was vindictive and angry and all of those things. And I thought, that's a poor representation of the God that we serve. The God that we serve uh, has served us. And uh, the response that ought to come from us is that we would be more than willing to serve Him because of what He's done for us. There's one more thing we, not just read about the ephod and the girdle, but notice there's the shoulder pieces, the shoulder pieces. Now I want to give you maybe a few definitions when we look at the text here. The word ouches doesn't mean ouch, it hurts. <laughs> uh, it, it'd be, a, if you have a ring, ladies, the diamond sits in a setting. Okay? The word ouch, ouches, is simply means a word for settings. That's where the onyx stone is going to be set. And so, right, like, does, does you ladies have a setting, right? You know what? Okay, I, I, I just want to make sure here. I'm not, because I, I, I'm not sure what a setting is, but I, I'm pretty sure that's where the diamond sits in, right? Correct? Okay, thank you, ladies. You can shake your head let me know. So that's what the ouches are. It's where the, the onyx stone is going to be laid. And so that would be, uh, it'd be a crevice, and there would be borders so that the onyx stone can be laid in it secure just like the lady's diamonds are secured. Every once in a while, you have to take him to the jeweler to have it reset sometimes because it comes out of the setting. The diamond may do so, okay? You all know better than I do. Now, there are two, uh, from uh, Exodus 20, verse 9 through 14, there are two onyx stones, one on each shoulder. On these onyx stones, the names of the children of Israel were to be found, the 12 tribes, uh, six on the one stone, and the shoulder is not given to us, which shoulder's names are going to be, but six on one shoulder uh, engraven on the stone. Another six engraven on the stone on the other shoulder, uh, making the, the 12 tribes. Now, the order of those 12 uh, of those stones that were to be engraven is according to their birth. Uh, we just read that just a moment a moment ago. Um, sorry I'm, I'm still in Luke here in the New Testament let me go back to Exodus uh, chapter 28 yes <clears throat> notice in verse 10 six of their names on one stone and the other six names of the rest on the other stone according to their birth okay that's what he says now uh, well, what's the whole idea of a uh, why according to their birth well If you read about the the sons of Jacob, the 12 sons of Jacob, we could all say that some did better than others. Um, As a matter of fact, one of those was Levi. Interesting that the Levites were to carry out the the service of the tabernacle. They were to be from the tribe of Levi. But the tribe of Levi had a curse pronounced on them because of what had happened. Um, and their curse was that they were not to inherit a land, uh, a piece of property. And and by the way, uh, the curse was fulfilled in that that tribe did not inherit a piece of property, but yet God in His grace and His mercy gave them the most privileged place, the service of the tabernacle. They would be dispersed throughout all the the 12 tribes. And, And so... Uh, the tribe of Levi here, there's a a picture here of, uh, when we think about those 12 names, that they're given in birth order, not according to their performance, but according to simply the fact that they were the children of God. They're all there, all their names. So, the names are engraven, notice, on the onyx stones. And so, as we read the description We see that those stones would be set in the gold ouches or settings. Uh, These were meant, as we look at their names, to be a memorial. Notice verse 12. And thou shalt put the two stones upon the shoulders of the ephod for stones of memorial unto the children of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord upon his two shoulders for a memorial. So it's about a memorial. In other words, the children of Israel cannot come into the Holy of Holies, can they? They're not allowed. Nobody is allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. Only one person, the high priest. Now in that time, it was Aaron. Aaron is the high priest. The children of Israel can come in, but in the sense they're coming in as a memorial with Aaron. Their entrance is granted uh, with the high priest, because they're there engraven on his shoulders. And in the same sense, those who come to God and who can have and can enter into the holy of holies and have communion with God are those whose names have been engraven on the very shoulders of Jesus Christ. We do not come uh, on our own merit. We come on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. He is the one that bears us up. He is the one that is worthy. And so they are to be a memorial before the Lord. We read here again, there's the word Um, when we look at those ouches. So uh, there would be, if you would, the settings, and on each end of those settings, to connect the ephod to the front and the ephod to the back would be chains of gold. And so it would be hooked to the front, the setting with the onyx stone on the top of the shoulder with the names engraven, and then the gold chain on the back connecting the backside of the ephod together. And so born on each shoulder, and the gold chains of pure gold uh, is in verse 14 of wreath work I'll be honest I, I was like that sounds like a wreath but it's not a wreath it's wreath actually it's the idea is a wreath <laughs> uh, the word wreath and means uh, a a string wreath foliage that's that's the idea there so wreath and uh, it, it'd be the gold chain would not just be round there would be some foliage ornamentation design that would be there uh, no doubt to add to the beauty now the question here is, is, well, why the shoulders? Well, um, in the Bible, the shoulders are typically typified as the place of strength. When we think about Jesus Christ, Isaiah mentioned in Isaiah 9, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his, what? Shoulders it's the place of strength he will bear up the nations the government the believer today when we think about uh, Christ uh, the believer is kept by the very power of God and let me just be clear about this we are not kept by our perseverance. We are kept by the power of God. 1 Peter 1, 5. Who are kept by the power of God uh, through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed on the last day. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him against that day. You see, let's not think today, we are not saved by our own power, our own good works, neither are we kept by our own works and our own perseverance. We are kept by the very power of God. We rest on His shoulders. We've been given entrance into the very shoulders of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, according to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, a uh, uh, God who, at sundry times and in diverse manners, spake in time past unto the fathers, by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the worlds, upholding all things by the word of His power. You know today that the whole world and the whole ecosystem, everything, is resting on the very shoulders of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If the whole ecosystem is resting on his shoulders and his power, it is a small thing that we, for him to bear, that we would rest on his shoulders and his power. I'm reminded of one more thing, if you turn with me and we'll be done in Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 15. it's a wonderful chapter. We, in that chapter, we have the lost, the the rich man who had two sons, and uh, one of them, one of his inheritance, he lived in riotous living, and he came back to his father, but he he gives three, three ideas there. The first one is the the loss of the sheep, um, the loss, the woman who lost the pieces of silver, but notice verse three. And he, Jesus, spake this parable unto them, saying, what, a man, what man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost, until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. I want you to think about this picture, and we're done here. Think about this picture of our Lord. All we like sheep have gone astray. The kind of shepherd that we have is not the shepherd than when we have rebelled and' we've gone astray. Not a, it is not the shepherd when he finds the sheep, beats the sheep over the head, ties the sheep around the neck, and drags it back to the fold. That is not the picture for us. The picture for us of the sheep that has gone astray that's rebelled against the shepherd, is that when the shepherd finds the sheep, he picks up that very sheep and he puts the sheep on his shoulders. And the truth is, as we are found by the Lord, we who have all gone astray, Jesus, when He found us in our sins, He didn't beat us over the head when He found us in our sins. He didn't uh, put a, a rope around our necks and drag us and command us to follow Him and to serve Him. He put us on His very shoulders and brought us into the very presence of God. That is the kind of Savior that we have. So when we think about the priest, the ephod is picturing the Lord Jesus Christ. The girdle uh, pictures the fact that He is ready and willing to serve, and oh, has He served. But the last thing is that those who are called by His name are carried on His strong shoulders into the very presence of God. And so let's remember the service. We, we may get this idea of the priest as, wow, look at this, this glorious aspect of the priest. But what we're, we find is the representation of a strong Savior, of a humble if I could say, that's Savior. The one who would do those things for us without us forgetting the very person that He is. And so, let me leave you with this. If, if, we, if, we, if we are today uh, to serve uh, like our Lord, um, How are we doing? Let me give you one illustration, and this is the one that came to my mind as I was studying, so I'm not uh, meaning that to you specific men who are married. But if we are to be like our Lord, and we are married to our wives, has your wife ever said something that offended you? Oh, don't be too loud, men. <laughs> Uh, maybe you felt that she was going against going against you. I was thinking in that moment about our Lord and how we have gone against Him at times. And what is it in us that might cause us to rage? To get all upset? to get all uptight. Because we sense that we don't deserve to be treated that way. Can I remind you of Jesus Christ? And so if you bear a reproach wrongfully, it is okay to take it if you're going to be like the Lord. It is okay to take it You see because our Lord when we have rebelled He picked us up on His shoulders. He didn't beat us over the head. He treated us with patience and gentleness and care. That's the Savior we have. And so I call you husbands as I call myself to exhibit our Lord and Savior uh, in our own marriages. And by the way, wives, you can apply this to yourselves. You can apply this really to any relationship. But uh, may the Spirit of the Lord, His service and His humility be found in all of us. As we're reminded this morning how we are to be the very members of Christ and represent Him.